Well, good afternoon. It's 12.28 my local time. I think it's the 10th of August. I think. Goodness me. <laughs> well, if it's not the 10th of August, please forgive me. Um, <laughs> how would you tell, though, if you're, what, if you're listening to this recording some days later? I don't know. 10th of August, 11th of August, whatever. In fact, I want to check before I go on. Um, let's have a look. Just looking at my mobile phone. Oh dear, it's the 11th of August. I'm very sorry. Isn't that appalling of me? Okay. All right. <laughs> the 11th of August. So today's um, podcast is called, excuse me, Why the God of Christianity is Not a Hitchensian Totalitarian. So I'm taking Hitchens objections to Christianity seriously again today, although I struggle to find anything serious in what he says, uh, serious in the sense of seriously taxing in terms of refuting it. He was serious in what he said, but it's often such a childish objection to Christianity. There are far more serious arguments against Christianity than Christopher Hitchens, but because of Hitchens' great popularity, I'm going to spend time uh, dealing with him. I mean, I did write a book about him after all, didn't I? The Rage Against the Light why Christopher Hitchens was wrong, which you all need to buy. I mean, it hasn't sold very well. Come on now. Anyway, um, you can get it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, and, and get it as a Kindle. It's much cheaper. Right. Okay. So here we go. Hitchensian. That's a good adjective, isn't it? Um, yeah. Thatcherite is an adjective, isn't it? I suppose. Or Marxism. Hitchensian. Marxist. Thatcherite. Thatcherist. Hitchensian. Sounds good. Not Dickensian, by the way. Okay. Um, Hitchens declares that the gods of theism, that's uh, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, are by nature totalitarian. Well, I'm going to focus on the god of Christianity because that's the religion that I know best because I am a Christian. But that doesn't mean to say that I'm not going to talk at times about uh, the, the God of Judaism. So the argument runs like this. Okay. Um, God is eternal or everlasting. So you can't vote him out of power. God is omniscient. He knows and sees everything. So he operates a, a surveillance state where nothing escapes his attention. God is omnipresent, rather like the, uh, the secret police, although far better at it. And, of course, he's omnipotent. His, uh, his power is irresistible and it is complete. So if he existed on the basis of those attributes, he is therefore the total totalitarian. And Hitchens' objection to God as the total totalitarian, the maximal totalitarian, I think was probably his most important reason for why he detested religion. He didn't think God existed or thought that the uh, the existence of God was highly improbable. But he certainly hated religion. And I think it's this loathing of totalitarianism that is at the heart of his anti-theism. Because in an interview to Richard Dawkins, um, not long before he died... Uh, the interview, I think, was published in the New Statesman. Hitchens said that if there is a, a continuity to his life, if there's a defining feature to his life, it's his resistance to totalitarians, whether of the left or the right, 
kind, right-wing kind, I should say. <laughs> There's no right kind of totalitarianism. So he, he resisted left-wing and right-wing totalitarians all his life. And I suppose if that's the case, then the resistance to God, the totalitarian, or the resistance to the idea of God, resistance to the belief in God, the resistance to the desire that God exists, is perhaps the most important part of his new atheism. Well, I have six counter-arguments to the Hitchensian hypothesis. So, in brief, what are they? Well, firstly, the Christian God is not capricious. Hitchens said that one of the defining features of the totalitarian is that he is capricious. And I'm going to argue that God is not, by nature, capricious. Secondly, totalitarians make impossible laws. And I'm going to argue that although it's impossible for humans to keep God's law, God has provided an alternative way of being called righteous or law-keeping other than keeping the law. Thirdly, uh, I shall argue that God is the author of free will. Uh, Hitchens believed in a materialist universe. Now, in a materialist universe, it's hard to see where free will would come in because everything is determined by the regularities of nature, which we describe through the laws of physics. So therefore, it's hard to see how human free will would fit into that sort of world. Number four, the greatest totalitarian is not God. It is the law of sin. And God, through Jesus Christ, is the means of liberation from the law of sin. Number five, God the Son in his incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth suffered at the hands of earthly dictators and yet triumphed over them. So that doesn't sound like the behaviour of a dictator, to choose to make oneself vulnerable to dictators, human dictators. And then finally, um, the greatest argument against God, the Christian God being a dictator, is that God is a crucified God of love. That also doesn't sound like the behaviour of a dictator. So firstly, God is not capricious. Well, Hitchens says, if you look at human dictators, they are capricious in the sense that they change what is right and wrong on a regular basis. So one day something might be right, and then the next day it's wrong. I suppose we can see some of that in Winston Smith's ordeal at the hands of the party in, in uh, George Orwell's 1984, where... Winston and all the other members of Oceania are subjected to ludicrous propaganda. One day they're told that they are at war with East Asia, and they have always been at war with East Asia, and the next day they're told they're, they are at war with Eurasia, and they have always been at war with Eurasia. So this changing of what is true, this changing of what is right and wrong, uh, is for Hitchens a defining feature of totalitarianism. Um, now, whether that is true or not, that's Hitchens' uh, definition. So, is God capricious? Well, one of the uh, attributes of God, which comes in the incommunicable category of attributes, is God's immutability or unchangeability. And the theologian Wayne Grudem provides many scriptural 
uh, verses and, and passages that evidence this. So, for example, uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19, it is written, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? So God is therefore not mercurial, he's not vagarious, he is not capricious. He does not possess what Hitchens says is a defining feature of a totalitarian. Secondly, God has a law that is impossible for humans to keep. So we're all familiar, if we're Christians, with the verse in Scripture which says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. Yet unlike the dictator who has no mercy on those who fail to keep his laws, God does. God's solution is righteousness through faith, not good works. And it is faith in the saving power of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus dies in our place. Jesus takes the punishment for sin. We are forgiven our failure to keep God's law. We are forgiven our sin because Jesus has taken the punishment and he has kept the law perfectly himself. Therefore, God has provided the means to be, uh, for us to be called righteous without keeping his law. But then he goes on to enable us to keep his law by giving us the Holy Spirit, um, who is God himself, uh, sometimes called the third person of the Trinity. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit who enables Christians to live lives of obedience and sanctification. So God who incarnates to bear the penalty of people's wrongdoing and provide them with the power to keep his laws, to save them from his judgment, does not sound like a celestial Stalin or a cosmic Mao Zedong. Thirdly, God is the source of human free will, according to Christianity. For Hitchens, if God existed, he would nullify human freedom. But if God is the creator, as Hitchens understands him also to be, why would he create humans with free will in the first place? I don't think Hitchens ever answers this question. I don't think he even raises it. Why not create obedient automatons in the first place? Also, if God is a benevolent dictator, and Hitchens does consider this possibility, why does the benevolent dictator create free will why not create obedient automatons who will receive god's goodness without resistance now if we're going to say that that god um has free will uh to a to a limitless extent within the boundaries of what is logically possible and humans have some measure of free will and the question is, how do the two coexist? And theologians have suggested a number of ways. Uh, firstly, some theologians acknowledge that there is competition between divine and human free will. And so for the two to be able to coexist, they operate in separate spheres of influence. Secondly, God, through his omnipotence, 
is capable of creating freely a world that is autonomous by choosing freely not to exercise his will to make room for the free choices of his creations, particularly humans. If God is able to choose freely to do all that is logically possible, and if it is not illogical to limit one's power, not by losing one's power, but by choosing not to exercise it, it is logically possible for God to choose freely not to exercise his will at certain times and in certain ways to permit creaturely autonomy. Some theologians don't talk about power, but instead talk about divine encouragement, persuasion and advice, which do not impinge on human free will. And that argument also is dependent upon God's self-limitation. So rather than commanding and forcing, God is encouraging, persuading and advising. The very famous theologian Karl Barth talks about divine and human freedoms as non-competitive and he understands this analogously through the love between people so when two people come together in love let's say they, they, they get married and so on each one cannot do whatever he or she likes there is an inevitable reduction of freedom on the part of both parties to that relationship of love in order for that relationship to function Love between people means they respect each other's freedom and initiative. They will choose to protect and maximise each other's freedom to do what is right and what is right by the relationship. So again, this means a self-limitation on the part of both God and humanity. God and humanity within a love relationship limit their freedom, God far more than humans do, in order to make that relationship work. Now, how is it possible for the idea of human free will and God's free will to fit into God's transcendence? Well, we can see how it's possible through the idea of dependent or secondary freedom. As created beings, freedom is given to humans by their creator, who is God, which means that human freedom is dependent on God and so is secondary to his primary freedom. Let's move on to the next argument, which is what I like to call Jesus and the tyrants. Now, as we know, Hitchens labels God as the greatest totalitarian. But the question is this, why would God the Son stoop to the incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth and then allow himself to suffer at the hands of human dictators. Well, we know why, because Jesus had to die on the cross and be resurrected for the purposes of salvation. But the idea of making oneself vulnerable to human dictators does not sound like the behaviour of a divine dictator or of any human dictator unless the human dictator has to bow the knee to another dictator who is militarily stronger than him. So there are three absolutisms or tyrannies that Jesus um, that, that, that made Jesus suffer. Uh, the first one is Herod the Great, who attempted to have the infant Jesus murdered for fear he would become a rival king, which means that Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus have to 
flee Israel and they go into Egypt. Secondly, Israel's theocracy, the high priest and the ruling council called the Sanhedrin, um, hand Jesus over to the Roman Empire, uh, more specifically the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, on the trumped-up charge of sedition in order to have him judicially murdered. Um, were they a kind of tyranny? Yes, they were. They, they were not elected. Whatever they said went in terms of the internal politics of Israel and Israel's religion. So they governed uh, within the confines of the limitations imposed upon them by the Roman Empire because Judea was a Roman province. So, well, so was Galilee as well. And so was Samaria. And we know also from F.R. Bruce's work, he's a New Testament scholar, uh, that there, were, there was a satirical chant um, that made fun of Caiaphas and Annas and his family because they were a ruling dynasty uh, for using violence to back up their, their, their commands. Jesus falls into the hands, however, of the greatest absolutism of its time, and that is the Roman Empire. And he is put on trial by the Roman governor or prefect Pontius Pilate. And the irony of this is that Pilate, this uh, polytheistic Gentile Roman governor, is more intrigued by Jesus and more unsettled by Jesus than Caiaphas and Annas and the Sanhedrin were. Pilate, I think, feels frightened of Jesus. He doesn't understand Jesus's reactions. He doesn't understand why Jesus doesn't defend himself. Some of the things that Jesus says to him are disturbing. Pilate has been warned not to have anything to do with Jesus by his wife, who had a nightmare about the situation that Pilate is now in. Um, and Pilate declares Jesus to be innocent. I mean, he has him flogged and says, oh, you know, let him go. And uh, the crowd nevertheless call for his execution. So Pilate, in order to uh, preserve himself, his position, to prevent um, complaints being made to the emperor, if he doesn't execute Jesus, um, calls him to symbolically wash his hands of Jesus, literally wash his hands of Jesus, and hand him over for execution. Okay, let's go on. Um, God frees humans from the greatest totalitarian, which is the law of sin. Now, the law of sin is, or the law of sin and death, which is, to give it its fullest title from the New Testament, is the power to transgress God's law, which is very difficult to resist and which has the potential to enslave the human will. And Romans chapter 7 verses 13 to 25 explores very fully what is meant by the law of sin. So just as law has the power to compel us and command us to do something, so sin is a ruthless law. It admits no exceptions in attempting to compel us to transgress. And Paul's understanding of sin comes out of his Jewish context. Um, which is a biblical context. And, and you can see in Paul's understanding of sin as something that is trying to master people uh, in some of the ancient Jewish sources. So, for example, Rabbi 
Yitzhak talks about the power of sin being incremental in someone's life. So sin metaphorically starts out as a visitor to your house or your life. Then it becomes a guest. So it stays a while. And then finally it becomes the master of the house, the master of someone's life. Now both Judaism and Christianity do not say that the law of sin is invincible. Okay, only God is omnipotent. There is human freedom in this matter. So according to Judaism, uh, humans defeat this alien entity, this law of sin inside them by obedience to the Torah. The Christian solution advocated by Paul is that the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself living inside people, enables believers to live above the temptations uh, that they will succumb to if they are under the power of the law of sin. And within the Christian framework, human freedom is important because believers have to choose to, quote, live according to the Spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. But I think the greatest refutation of the Hitchensian hypothesis that if the God of theism existed, he would be the maximal totalitarian, is the cross of Jesus. Which human totalitarian has ever died for the benefit of his people? I can't think of one. Can you? Usually, it is the dictator's people who die for him rather than the other way around. So, in summation, I conclude a number of things. <laughs> that the God of Christianity cannot be if he existed, a totalitarian of any kind, including the maximal totalitarian that Hitchens says he is. God is immutable, not capricious. He does not make impossible laws. He provides alternative ways to be righteous. He authors free will. He liberates from the law of sin. God the Son suffered at the hands of human dictators. And the greatest evidence is the cross. <laughs>